It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As we head closer to Christmas, I wanted to remind you that a subscription to BBC Country Farm magazine makes a brilliant present. We have a very special deal just for you. BBC Country Farm magazine helps you make the most of the British countryside. And we are offering all our podcast listeners the chance to save 51% on a 12-month subscription. So that's a year's worth of magazines for £31.99, just £2.46 per copy. So if you'd like to find out more, visit www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash Christmas. Terms and conditions do apply. Now let's get back to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. I'm Fergus Collins. In this week's episode, I have the great privilege of meeting nature writer and campaigner Hannah Bourne-Taylor. Hannah hit the news in recent weeks after walking from Hyde Park Corner to the Houses of Parliament in London to call for urgent action to help our declining swifts. So what, you might think? Well, She walked the two miles naked, covered only in paintings of feathers. So we met up in a forgotten woodland in South Wales to go looking for wildlife and to talk about her extraordinary experience, the feather speech. And don't forget to leave likes and feedback on whichever podcast provider you use. And you can email me, editor at countryfile.com. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is definitely the best interview I've ever done. It's outside. <laughs> well, it's hardly started yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've won. You can wait at the end. Yeah, <laughs> now we're outside, which is good. Uh, now, listeners will, might know of Hannah particularly for a recent campaign. Maybe you could explain in your own words what you got up to. Yes, um, the Feather Speech campaign is something that I designed actually in the heatwave in July when I was guarding some swifts. Um, Some swift young were inching closer and closer to eject themselves from their holes and I was there ready to rescue them if they became grounded. And I thought to myself, I've been doing this for the last 18 months. I've been doing these sort of sticky plaster individual solutions, rescue attempts, um, sort of trying to help individual swifts and other animals on my doorstep. And it's not enough. because the swifts have been on the red list of highest conservation concern for one year and they're facing national extinction and I don't want to be the person who says I love swifts, I love swifts and then doesn't do anything so I did something a bit radical and (laughs) I still can't talk about it without just embarrassing myself but yeah, I I delivered a speech at Speaker's Corner and then walked the two miles to Downing Street 
naked, um, <laughs> painted in feathers from neck to toe. And it was all to do with um, a petition at its core, which is about making swift bricks compulsory in new housing across Britain, just to try to boost the opportunities for swifts to actually live in this country because we're inadvertently blocking them out of our own existing houses now. And luckily, it's not just a theatre, you know, behind the theatre of this rather radical stunt, people have been calling it, is our leading scientists, the RSPP, Rewriting Extinction, another charity. So really reasonable, scientific fact-based campaign, just with a bit of craziness <laughs> in the front of it. Well, um, I, have, I have questions. What we're going to do is just we're going to head into the woods here because... Yeah. We're both, we've come to some woods, which I don't know very well. Han doesn't know at all. We're going to get completely uh, lost. We're going to get completely <laughs> lost. But, that, well, so you were, you were pretty much naked, but covered. Well, I have seen I did, I did have I did have very minimal knickers on. And so some people have been like, oh, you, want, you weren't naked. Well, I felt pretty naked. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have waist-long hair, so that really helped the... Um, Overall, Certainly Lady Godiva look, yes, directly yeah. inspired by her, obviously. For good reason, I think. She's still talked about, and that's a long, yeah. long time ago. So we're just cutting through some what looks like clear fell here. Lots of little birches have sprung up. Um, I'll give a bit more picture of where we are exactly in a minute. But um, how did you feel doing it? I mean, it was. I saw a video of you at Speaker's Corner, and you were so. You sounded so confident. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Such an illusion. Um, well, I had actually just been interviewed by two politicians live on national news and GB News just just before I'd got on to Speaker's Corner. And I'm not quite sure which one was more surreal. I th- maybe, the fir- maybe, the, maybe the TV one. Um, but I think I, from the very beginning, from when I had the idea, and the idea didn't really change that much. I just couldn't believe that people were willing to collaborate. You know, I had some world-class world-renowned artists helping me and you know it became quite a big small thing I suppose but um every motivation was coming back to the idea of just trying my hardest for the Swifts and so I knew I would be judged of course I was putting myself up for sub you know to subject myself to public ridicule obviously that comes with the territory of doing that kind of thing yeah but I actually wasn't doing it for the people. I was doing it for the Swifts. And I, their, their judgment, if they came down and said, you know what, Hannah, please stop it, that would be mortifying. <laughs> they but... were just screaming with delight. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, they couldn't see, could they? No, they're in, but, well, they're in, well, they're in Africa. Africa the <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should, we should uh, for those who aren't familiar with Swifts, which, shame on you, um, <laughs> they are obviously summer, summer migrants, so we get to see them so briefly, though, isn't it, Swifts? Yeah, like... they've got the shortest breeding season, so May to August. But they do make themselves known, I think. And because they're urban birds, they're such a lovely sight. And I feel like that was such an important argument for this cause. You know, I could have, I could have done this for any number of the 70 yeah. British birds on the red list. I, I have a huge attachment to farmland birds that I feed through the hungry gap myself every winter. But it's swifts. These are our closest wild neighbours. They share our homes. They sleep about six inches away from where we sleep. So the least we can do is sort of celebrate that swifts fly all the way from our walls to southern africa and back crossing the sahara tw- twice every year but famously not landing and then they you know then they come right back home to us so i just think it's epic they are absolutely magnificent creatures and there's something sort of otherworldly about them you know we're familiar with garden birds that come and peck around our feet and on our bird feeders but um, I'm not sure where I'm taking you, but we're getting a whole Only range of you. different... into yous. Yeah. So we've been through a clear fell, which I reckon is good for nightjars. Yeah, I was just about to say, nightjars are my top five favourite birds. Absolutely ah. love nightjars. Um, have you of course been they're not here either. Have you been nightjarring? Yes, it's one of my favourite things to do with a white handkerchief because the ah, males come okay. and sort of sniff you out a bit. Um, I take my niece, who's nine, and she just thinks it's absolutely wonderful. What about you? Yeah, yeah nightjarring, is, there's lots of good sites here in Wales. Um, I've got a really good one close to where I live, which is not secret. I've mentioned it on the I've been there on the podcast. This funny little fun guy that you found. Little, well, how would you describe this? Like, it looks like a little hedgehog, <laughs> um, but it's not. It's like a root is tra- crossing the path. 
and from it are these little black and white like Oh wow, look. And they're giving off spores. But we, <laughs> hopefully it's not going to yeah, yeah, kill yeah, exactly. me. <laughs> it's not the edible variety. Um, so did you feel it had an impact? Did you get a lot of... I mean, obviously... Uh, eyebrows are raised on Twitter, oh. but then eyebrows are always raised on Twitter. Um, yeah, let's oh, go yeah down. I mean, I, I was really bowled over by the coverage. Um, I, you know, I'm not a well-known author or person. Don't have a huge following online or anything like that. Um, but it made, I think, every single national newspaper and a lot of regionals. And then I found myself being painted again, having just spent hours getting the paint off me, in Piers Morgan's studio. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I went live on TV for the second time in my life. Talk TV? Um, it was that? called Uncensored. Uncensored, OK. Um, and it had lots of clothed people on it in the green room. And there I was. Were you unclothed again? Unclothed again, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I was terrified because I thought oh gosh Piers Morgan you know has quite a big reputation how did he I didn't see it how did it go it was brilliant it was brilliant he fully and actively supported it he was actually lovely to me and I was very grateful for the the influence because obviously if I if I'm trying to get a hundred thousand people to sign the petition in order for it to be debated in parliament then I really that's you know that's why I did this uh, radical naked move was purely to try to get the awareness because if I'd done exactly the same thing even with the scientific backing that I've got but I did it fully clothed it would never have reached the national news I would never have been on television Piers Morgan who's got 8 million followers on Twitter would never have tweeted about it he wouldn't have known about it so you know there's that horrible reality of playing into the media hands you you can either do something illegal and disruptive or you can get naked. It seems to be that kind of extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extreme. Fair play, because it's definitely worked in terms of getting... Oh gosh, look at all the tangles. Yeah, on, on. I'm going to merge into this as yeah, camouflage. Yeah, we back to the past. It's not well, tick season anymore, is it? No, no, I've really <laughs> taken Hannah through the... You're dressed at least for the, for the wild. Yeah, I am, I am fully clothed. So we've come back to the bar, we've just done oh, a big right. semicircle. Okay, well, we're just exploring here. This would be perfect for night jars. Let's just wander along here, because this looks like quite a nice... Uh, yeah, did you expect to come for a tangle through the Yeah, I kind of hope, oh, you're not letting me down. This oh, is, good, this good, is really good, good. good. I think it would be good to explain what a, how, what a swift brick is, because yes. um, not everyone will know. Uh, also, a little bit about swifts, where they nest, because uh, there's this curiosity that they, they nest in houses, mm. in, our, in, our, in our lofts. In our... Um, yeah, so swifts tend to pick little tiny natural holes in the walls the stone walls of our houses under the eaves so they they really need height because they don't perch and they're so aerodynamically elite that they need the height to get the momentum in flight oh because so if they nested closer to the ground they just wouldn't get that they wouldn't be able to get is they like planes in fact they they inspired fighter jet design um in terms of the elite movement of their of their flight uh, so yeah that's why they need the height um, and swallows, of course, are known for nesting inside barns in, in the roofs. But, but swifts tend to, yeah, just have those little holes. You can hardly see them, which is why, of course, people are inadvertently blocking them out, filling them in, pointing mm. and putting soffits up. They don't really notice that there are these holes there, which is heartbreaking, of course, because when they return in May every year, Mr and Mrs Swift, who've always lived there because they're renowned for being site loyal and they live for up to 20 years, so these guys really do live in these particular addresses 20 years and yeah must cover hundreds of thousands I mean, of miles. Mil- millions millions, millions. Wow, yeah wow. that's what i mean they're the they spend more time airborne than any other of the 10,000 species of birds on earth and then when they come home they come home to us i just feel like that is the most yeah. brilliant argument and if if anyone is ever going to go naked for something surely <laughs> surely that's it i might do it for a lap point <laughs> oh okay interesting yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you I know mean, they need our help too yeah so the so the brick is built into the fabric of the house when it, yeah, so when you've, it's, uh, yeah so you've got three built. three options with you've got the natural site obviously which is the the most ideal because they are the the actual homes of the birds then you've got the wooden swift bricks um, sort of nest boxes they just have a slightly different hole they have a um, a rat like a, an oval hole 
instead of a round one. So they look like a wooden bird box, but it's specially designed. Yeah. But they're not as good because firstly, they're outside of the house. So they're not as sustainable and they get hotter. So that's why the brick is so much better because it looks like an actual brick. It's just got a cavity in it. Oh. So then when you put it into the wall, it's flush to the wall. So again, you could hardly really see it really because it's so high up. Um, and they so they do exactly they're just simulating what's already there in our older stonework but of course new houses don't have those holes to start with and that's the problem and so obviously ideally i would want to protect the existing homes of swifts but (laughs) to get that kind of protection for houses that want to be demolished or individual houses that's very very difficult to achieve and i just felt like that was just not a reasonable request however much i'd like it so this is a working compromise because if we're building about 300,000 houses every year then at least we can provide homes for our closest neighbors at the same time and and allow them to have opportunities to live and control that element when we're not quite sure how many of their homes are being blocked off by individuals yeah i see so and and actually the cost involved is minimal well i mean what's the cost i don't i don't i haven't done the math but i do know that obviously if it became you know if i if i did manage collectively with everybody else to change the law then obviously the price of every single individual swift brick would go down because the supply demand would go up but it it is pretty um cost efficient and reasonable if you think about all the other biodiversity net gains that come into play about creating generating meadows and 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 bits of land this is just one brick um so and and they're not in the biodiversity net gains none of these um birds that are are included in bng which does feel strange because (laughs) there is not just swifts it's house sparrows house martins and starlings that all directly benefit from these swift bricks they're also called universal bricks and, oh, and so none they can of them, all nest in them as well. Yeah, so it's oh. it's it's um fourth the price of one. <laughs> you know, I've I've championed the Swift, but they all benefit from it, and they're all on the red list. So it just makes sense. And they are in the environmental guides, but they haven't been enforced. They're not in the BNG, so it just seemed like a gap that needs to be filled, which is ironic, of course, because yeah. it's all about that. But uh, yeah. But presumably, they eat a lot of mosquitoes and green. Oh yeah, we should be like... very grateful for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, so... that's probably one of the reasons why they're in such decline it's not just the housing issue for swifts but also the huge sort of as people call it the apocalypse of the insects across the world and because they're migrants obviously the global change in climate is having an effect on them as well as the population of insects so yeah. it's a, a knock-on effect for these birds it's a tough gig being a swift or any migratory bird or any any sort of insect well any bird really but but yeah summer their lifestyles are more make them more vulnerable yes this looks like a good path oh i like this yeah so we'll, see, we'll see what we can find yeah this is a better this is we can walk side by side rather than thrashing through <laughs> the brambles but um yeah so you talked about red list yes well we have talked about this in the podcast before but it'd be good to remind everyone what the red list is and how to hear why some birds are on this list yeah sure so the red list is part of a ranking system which basically allows scientists to collect the data and analyze that data and and tell whether uh, a bird or animal is okay in their population not so okay or really not okay at all Um, and the red list is the worst one so it's defined by the need for urgent action whereas there are lots of other birds luckily that are on the amber list or the green list which is common the green is common no Um, no concern there no concern and so the red list unfortunately at the moment there are 70 british birds on that red list including all of the birds i've just mentioned and also the green finch was new to the list last year and and 12 species out of the 19 of farmland birds um, which really gives us an indication of the state of nature in this country if you think about 69 to 70 percent of our country is farmland and then you you look at the percentage of birds in such trouble. So that's an amazing tree. Really, really, yes, yeah, we're just treading on this sort of carpet beech leaves and this great sort of monster, like a sort of head of a squid or something, coming out of the ground. It's really um, so amongst. We're in a really weird mixed woodland. woodland yeah, here. we're at yew trees here. Holly, there's conifer plantation. There's lots of hazel and beech and beech and some oaks back there. Yes, all sorts of stuff. Um, there's a lot of hazel. So this is must be a hazel copse. I think this looks like someone's actually been yeah. has been worked. Um, there's now I brought you here because there is a red there are several red list species in the, in these woods. 
but the one that we that is recorded quite commonly is the hawfinch, which uh, I've only ever seen at least twice. I've never seen a hawfinch. Okay, well... They're very handsome, <laughs> and I really want to see one. And they're, and they're really elusive, but they're much easier to see in autumn and winter when they... Um, and these woods of... Forest of Dean is a stronghold. In fact, all the woods of South Wales seem to have populations, but... Just what do we do? Are we going to lie on the floor? Yeah, I think we're going to just have to kind of move slowly. It's going to be a very easy. silent podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, people like those. <laughs> they like Everyone stop, shush! Stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Listener numbers go up. Um, so they come down to feed on sort of fallen beach mast and stuff like that. So there's lots of yew trees which have those red berries and they love the seeds inside the red berries of yews which are thoroughly poisonous highly poisonous yeah but they don't mind they're obviously made of sterner stuff than us uh, and I mean it's a big woodland this so no, quite small birds <laughs> quite small birds big for a finch but small for a yeah um, but so we'll, we'll recognise them by their calls which are quite high pitched and uh, and you, it's very kind of you to say we because I I will admit that I wouldn't recognise them so well, I will you, be well, relying you, on you well if we if I would say, I'm trying to think of the occasions, I've seen them probably four or five times. One was in a, they like churchyards, churchyards best for the youth. Of course, yeah. Yeah, So I was quite lucky to find some in a local churchyard once. Well, I say I found them. I spotted on Twitter that someone had mentioned this. (laughs) And I thought, I'll bomb down there during my lunch break. So you twitched one? I twitched a a whole bit, there's a squirrel on the ground, but... uh, I'm looking for oh, any yeah. movement That's on there. Not a hawfinch. No, no. <laughs> Should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we might. It's, it's my ears that are better than my eyes. Oh, okay. Well, we, we're a good team because my eyes are good. Okay, Especially okay. for finches. You know, I'm really tuned in to finches. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll just see if there's any. We'll just go, this looks like it. This feels just more birdy down here, anyway. Yeah. It's a twig. <laughs> I was once recording a cuckoo really close up, oh, on the, wow. up on the hill and I stood on a comedy twig that went crack right. and off it flew, oh, no. just as it was hooting away. But everyone else around you didn't like no, you very I was, much. I was, I was alone, I was alone, fortunately. <laughs> didn't get beaten up by the, all the bird watchers. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, the nice thing about it, yeah, it's just, I think these are... Possibly long tail tits up ahead. Oh, right, yeah, that makes sense. Definitely a tick call. Mm. Quite sure what I saw there. I think these are mostly. Definitely some tits alerting yeah. each other of our presence. It's a little mixed flock yeah. coming through. I love watching long tailed tits in uh, woodland because they look like a little um, kind of troop of feathered monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Very personality driven and they communicate so completely and they're normally only about seven, say, on the. Mm. I just yeah they're, they're fun to watch so you are probably quite familiar with monkeys living in oh well no mm. no um weren't so many monkeys a lot of animals have been lost i hate that word because actually that means destroyed but that a lot of them aren't there anymore um so not so many i'm very familiar with cobras <laughs> <laughs> okay there are plenty of that oh, look at this kind of weird ditch running through the wood here this is an old Maybe a drove road? Or? Oh, yeah, or a boundary. Probably a, probably a sunken lane. Want, yeah, this sort of seems to... I love all these old features. Yeah. This is clearly an old, old, forgotten place. This. Yeah. And the tits are here. Yeah. Great tits, yeah. long-tailed tits. Let's see if we can see any. There are quite a lot down there. Oh, no, oh, yeah, I see. The blue tits and great tits, but there's yeah. definitely long tails as well. And there's a big, quite a chubby squirrel up there, having a good autumn by the looks of things. Yeah, I think it's been an amazing year for nuts and berries. And yeah. Oh gosh, the whole the trees are just full of yeah. movement. When you how stop. many eyes are staring at us, us yeah. I wonder? They're all down these lower... They're circling yeah. us now. There's a lot of long-tailed tits here. Yep. Yeah. Whole it's family. That's a blue tip there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they're not scared of us. They're sort of like they're just. Oh no, they're defiant. They're feisty. Apparently, blue tits used to be called Billy Bite Bite Biters. <laughs> Billy they biters. were really quite vicious and tenacious, <laughs> and I really like their defiance. Actually, but I've got very old binoculars that belonged to my grandfather, and oh, those are the best. They are 
we'll not have, so big look. <laughs> tiny. We'll probably have memories. They look like them. a little Cluedo. Oh my goodness, thing. those are tiny. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually quite good. And they don't make my eyes go dizzy. I don't, I don't like watching through binoculars too much. I prefer to get so close and stay there for they so are long. They the smallest pair of binoculars <laughs> I've ever seen. But, um, They're probably about 100, 100 years old. Wow, spies, but was your grandfather a spy or something? No, but he, yeah. he, uh, he liked birds. Oh, okay. <laughs> I suppose we are spies, aren't we? Yeah, we're spies in some purple. So you lived in Ghana? Yes, for eight, many, years. eight years. Yeah, Gosh, and formative years. I was 26 when I left England and I'd been living in central London for, since I was 18. So actually it was a bit of a shock to the system ending up in rural Ghana in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't the middle of nowhere, of course. It was actually in the middle of an incredible habitat, grassland and river. But from a human point of view, it was quite a long way from... Um, <laughs> yeah, a long way from London. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were you doing there? What was I doing there? I, can you believe it, was called a trailing spouse because I wasn't allowed to work. I was only there and allowed to stay in the country because my husband had a job. So I was a trailing spouse, which sounds so Victorian. Um, <laughs> and it felt very Victorian as well, yeah, actually. So I wasn't doing a lot there for quite a long time and went completely, quite quickly mad because of that lack of purpose. But then in the end, it was very purposeful because what I did was rescue hand raise and become a finch oh, <laughs> it's probably this is and a swift story this is a swift so and like, a finch yeah so this is where your book comes from is that right yes fledgling is merely the legacy of these two birds i really wanted to try to immortalize them and share them with other people because they were just so amazing as individuals the swift and the finch one after the other i didn't have them at the same time that would have been impossible <laughs> um but uh yeah it was did you have the swift in ghana yes or, yeah it was a little swift so oh, not ours, not ours, no, not a common swift. Yeah. Um, about half the size of a common swift. They look almost identical, mm. apart from it has a little bit more white on it. And um, yes, I had the swift because someone had destroyed the swift's nest. And of course, unfortunately, what the the young when they can't fly yet can't do anything about it if they're grounded. And I knew that, but I just didn't know quite how to handle that. So I so I rescued the bird and then had an emotional roller coaster with this bird um, to get it to the precise weight. And also the, the wings have to be the precise length, otherwise they cannot fly. They're all or nothing birds. That's another reason why I just think they're so amazing. Because the first fledgling flight, their maiden flight, when they're in England at least, the common swifts, they fly all the way from our houses to southern Africa and back. They, they, that's, they go. They're instinctively yeah. on their own. And little swifts... Um, do different things but the swifts all over the world have these incredible journeys and these instincts that just so little swifts amazing. actually breed in Africa yes they stay, stay yeah, they don't the or do they migrate elsewhere um, they do in different places around it depends where you are if you're a little swift but those ones were hanging out there all the time Ooh. which is why it was born there and and then the finch, of course, was was came next, and um, a mannequin finch, a bronze-winged mannequin finch. Mannequin yes, finch. a mannequin is a word that comes from the Flemish, meaning little man. So it's, imagine a sparrow and then half it. That's oh, really? how. That, I mean, absolutely tiny. This would be proportionate. The binoculars would be oh, proportionate. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely tiny little thing. Binoculars. You're talking about nesting. They were nesting. I saw a video of them nesting in your hair. Oh, or finch, sort, of, yeah. sort of living in your hair. Now, you've got quite a lot of hair for the listeners. You mentioned it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's waist length. Yes, I grew so it myself. Got, <laughs> yeah, I mean, congratulations. Um, but you've used, oh, this more of your, your little... Oh, cool, yeah. Little, um, the hedgehog fungus. They, they clearly grow on roots. Yeah. Um, amazing little thing. I've never seen those before. Well, I've never no, I noticed them before. Oh, here we go, and there's crab apples here. So oh, I, I love crab apples. So where are the thrushes then? Yeah, there should be a whole load. Maybe they just haven't realised underneath this canopy there's, there's a carpet of crab apples. Do you want to take a pocket for <laughs> Yeah, um, all right. We like a bit of forage on them. Um, so, yeah, so the nesting, in, you had some nesting in your hair, or, or it sort of was living in your hair. Or... Yeah, I mean, I wasn't Radagast, although that is obviously my <laughs> ultimate hero <laughs> from yeah, yeah, Lord yeah. of the Rings. But um, what yeah. happened was... So... St Francis of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so these mannequin finches, they're flock birds, just like sparrows and many finches. Bit of a better size. Oh, yummy. Although probably a bit sour. But, um, yeah, well, yeah well, <laughs> it, it, there's a, what can you do with crab apples? Oh, well, I like making crab apple jelly. Classic. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Goes so well with cheese, goes well on toast, yogurts. 
Um, but I also do have this thing where I do deliver apples if they're being sort of wasted in villages. You know, those, yeah, those yeah, boxes yeah. where people are like, please take the apples. I go and distribute them um, in fields and especially near the coast because the Red Wings, for example, this year had a terrible time crossing the North Sea um, during early November where we just had that, that torrential rain. Um, so they get, they cross, they, they manage to get to our coastlines and they're absolutely exhausted and some it's not just me quite a lot of other people um really passionate birders some people count the migrants coming in on by standing on the cliffs and they watch the birds not quite make it they, they drop exhausted about 10 meters away in in the sea they don't make it and really? so some of them They've make it all that way they're all they, that way um, and of course if they're ra- if it's raining it's much harder to fly because the feathers are wet yeah. so th- those those wasted otherwise apples come in handy fledgling is the book based yes. on your experiences with these two chicks um, so they successfully fledged they did although that sounds very easy and of course it wasn't no. but um the finch has a triumphant life or at least sort of journey through fledgling I, writes, I think. writes you letters and says oh, thanks yeah. for oh he's a real pen pal now <laughs> <laughs> no he um he he did spend a lot of time in my hair because these finches they rely pretty much solely on this one very tall guinea grass they eat the seeds and then they oh wow oh wow i really want to poke that (laughs) (laughs) i think you should poke it because you're doing it a favor because it likes to release its spores so it's a little spiky oh no hold on it's not doing it that's very disappointing no no it's very firm yeah maybe it needs a little bit more um time (laughs) so yeah so the, the so the sparrow had a successful life onwards Swift more challenging then. Yes, more challenging. But but swifts, of course, are going to be much harder to read, I think, than a very gregarious, almost human finch, I think. Do you get to know its character then really well? Oh, yes. So the finch would have all these different calls and was like just amazingly easy to communicate with. So almost instantaneously after I'd rescued him, when his grass nest flew, um, blew down after a storm and his whole family abandoned him, charming um uh, he imprinted on me um instinctively which is the right thing to do and it meant that i could spend two months in the end walking every single day in the grassland following his family so eventually he could go back to his family oh, really you were able um, to because kind of, they were oh that's amazing yeah so we've stalked his family together and of course the calls were very very important so he would tell me when he was scared when he was hungry when he was tired when he wanted affection yeah. all of these things just like just like babies do I suppose in different cries he had very demanding calls so when he was hungry he would stand up really really straight he would knock his head back whip his wing out because that's his uh, technique to block out his siblings so that they don't get food and um and he, then <laughs> he would exactly yeah um especially for chips um and, <laughs> and he would then basically say in a very loud alarm call feed me feed me feed me right now and I would feed him and sometimes he'd be so overzealous with his demanding calls he would fall fl- right back on his back with his little legs straight up, stop for a second, really sort of confused as to how he was on his back, get back up and start demanding again like a little matador having a tantrum or something. He was just <laughs> brilliant. And he'd get also really jealous of anything else being in my hand because most yeah. of the time he was in my hand. So when I was walk, um, when I was eating, he would try and follow by flying into my mouth. Oh, oh my goodness, really? <laughs> yeah, so I'd try oh to eat and then I'd have to stop eating so that I didn't swallow him by mistake because that's how small he was. <laughs> This is beautiful. It smells really nice. We've got, um, and I think, I wonder if these are like the shucks of pine cones that have yes. been t- torn apart by probably by squirrels. Yeah, probably squirrels, yeah. But it's amazing the, the, the woodland floor is just beneath. We're, we've now entered a little stand of very tall, straight, probably Douglas fir. I'm not very good. You, you'll know. Will you know? No. Okay, let's. I would know. I've just. <laughs> It's um, very difficult. They, in fact, the foliage is so far above us, the, the, the trunks of these trees straining to reach the sky, so they've dropped all their, hmm. all their limbs just to concentrate on the top. But yeah, something's been having this tremendous feast here, just sort of plucked, destroyed all the, all the pine cones. Um, so uh, with a sparrow then, I presume you're feeding it like, like mashed up seeds or something like that? Well, kind of, but also I had a whole fridge 
a freezer full of termites from the Swift, oh, and okay. that's um, and that's that a long story. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so the high protein, and um, that's very good for you know you, you mentioned the whole finches with the caterpillars. Of course, all the finches and blue tits and all the tits they they also feed on the protein, the gnats and the caterpillars. So important are insects to their birds. So yeah, I had lots of termites and that really helped him because to start with, as a fledgling, he was brown, all sorts of different brown, but his adult plumage was just very, very good looking. And he's on the cover of my book because he is a handsome devil. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, um, I'm just going to show you, this is a nibbled. Yeah, I've, You've it, got it, looks, some there, haven't you? it looks like a sort of after party of a fairground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little it's... kind of corns. Yeah. And they smell amazing. Mm. I quite like to eat it myself. But these are, um, yeah, the, I get these are the little pine cones, but they Yeah, I think it must be Douglas fir, but I don't. Yeah, and they're actually they're stripped. Now you see them. Yeah, now they're everywhere. The, the, the... They're like the badger maze, but this yeah. is the squirrel miniature version. They've had a massive party here. Yeah. There are hundreds of them. And they really haven't cleared up, have they? <laughs> no, 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 messy, messy. Um, so my other question, which you sort of answered, was how do you feed swifts? Because I know people have fed swifts feed them bits of mint but um, that's so bad that it? it's um that will kill them not immediately but basically if you think about it swifts because they pretty much live in the sky they only eat uh, flying insects or anything they can catch on the wing which actually happens to be a lot of um ins- uh, spiders as well um but, drifting on the yeah drifting on the breeze yeah, yeah exactly um but with with mints and meat what happens is it it um messes up the structure of their feathers and it makes the feathers brittle so at um, some point when they're gosh. flying it doesn't work and it's, it's fatal um and that has been oh it's terrifying because people are so lovely and they, they care so much mm. and they think okay we'll try that and, and the bird eats it Ugh. and it doesn't die immediately because it's not toxic to them but it, it has a lasting fatal effect so actually you should be eating you should be feeding if you happen to find yourself in this ridiculous predicament um it's they, you really need to think about flying insects which are obviously quite difficult although in this country you can get them and locusts uh, crickets oh, that sort of thing that as well feed, that, that people feed lizards and, yeah and more like reptilians yeah, like yeah, stuff yeah. but um and and wax worms things like that um and also there are huge rescue centers Maggots, for swifts like if um, you were desperate if you're you... desperate that's better than meat because at yeah. least that's still in the insect family yeah I um see. so oh, okay so we're getting outside of what they yeah they're, they're, they're just they're... you know like we can't eat yew berries that's mm. not in our digestive ability and dogs are allergic to cocoa it's mm. a sort of same layman's equivalent mm. i don't know how to explain it other than that but yeah don't feed swift's mints <laughs> that that is pretty clear yeah <laughs> please don't what's hanging from this tree behind i don't know you? but there's it's there's about a... to break yeah, so, yeah there's a weird sort of, there's something hanging from a tree over here is like oh no that looks like a, a squirrel poison trap oh no oh, is it, it a could dormouse? be a dormouse a dormouse trap oh, you know not a trap um, I think it's a dormouse a thing where they put yeah, charcoal yeah, on the bottom yeah. and then they see oh we can have a look in there's nothing oh they've tempt. taken it off so that's that's out of so which makes sense because they'll be hibernating won't they basically it's a um, it's a tunnel not, not, it's a tunnel it's a, a footprint tunnel. a footprint tunnel there's some gorgeous red berries tumbling off here yeah, uh, briony briony yeah. okay that's good to know no I'm much better at the hedge, hedge stuff <laughs> you start yeah, yeah. quizzing me on the hedge stuff like you know oh, good. Uh, briony gorgeous red berries don't eat them tempting I know they just look so tempting to really eat really juicy yeah eat me eat me it's definitely Alice in Wonderland <laughs> but probably yeah. a much bigger trip yeah. Even Alice. Yeah, I don't really want to. A trip to the hospital. Probably. Or a trip underground, six feet under. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's yeah. another one. Oh, yeah. yeah, this and is definitely a dormouse survey. I wonder who's doing it. That's exciting. Not that we'll ever see a dormouse. <laughs> yeah. on, uh... Do you know that dormice snore? Well, not all of them. I, just like I, us, some I, of them do. I've never, never been near enough to know. Um, <laughs> they, they, well, one particular dormouse that lives in Dartmoor. I have witnessed snoring and oh, it you've is met a dormouse, prob- you? Oh yes, I've, I I really quite like dormice. Let's, yeah. let's head through here. It looks like this is like a boundary here. Yeah. We might get a view down. Just, um, 135 trees have just been delivered to my house as saplings. Really? <laughs> my husband's just phoned up and said, they're here. <laughs> uh, the Woodland Trust gave out loads of free trees um, to celebrate the Queen's canopy, the, the Jubilee. Yeah, the Jubilee. And so I managed to persuade some people that have a trust with the community land near my house to, to get these trees and I'll plant them and of course they've arrived the week I'm not there <laughs> oh wow those are particularly pretty aren't they these are very very tall slender stemmed fungi again they're past their best I think we might be entering the sort of post fungi period yeah but 
the dishevelled period. Yeah, yeah, sort of party's over, everyone's a bit hungover. Yeah, they do actually look about how I feel right now. Oh, dear. Tired and <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. still going. I get, I get that a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's um, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're planting a woodland? Are you going to yes. plant all the trees yourself? Yes, like that. I have no choice. Um, I'm not really. I'm not actually not planting woodland. I'm planting a hedgerow um, in a grassland that I'm enriching for. You've guessed it. Farmland birds, <laughs> all like birds. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, that's so, yeah. interesting because I, I, a lot of the time people say plant woodlands, plant woodlands, plant woodlands, but actually the grasslands can be just as, you know, oh, they're rarer, more valuable. Yep. And and they they really help quite a lot of different species. Uh, including the endangered wildflowers as well. So, um, you know, the likes of meadow clary and other really beautiful and incredibly nectar-rich wildflowers that are very rare now. Yeah, those are things that are sort of common, sort of arable flowers. They're, so they're chalk grasslands oh. and they're, they're beautiful and purple and the bumblebees absolutely love them because they're so rich in nectar. And, um, yeah, there aren't that many left now, so... So it's just your day-to-day. So I was going to ask you, when you're not writing, raising birds, walking naked across London, <laughs> are you out in nature? Yes. I Basically, my, normally this barber jacket, all the pockets are completely full of seeds. So I collect seeds wherever I go, wildflower seeds, and store them. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I'm just trying to create green spaces small token pieces mm. around my doorstep and use them to engage the community and also just not engage the community and just for the wildlife itself mainly the birds yeah. so yeah i'm i'm a broke author that spends all their time outside or or you know intensely writing i write very quickly so i i sort of write non-stop until a book's finished um, and then spend all the other time outside. <laughs> so have you got an, another book on the go? You, uh, yes, I do have another book you, on the go. Are you at liberty to talk about it? Um, well, I sort of have a little bit just now, inadvertently. It's, I can't talk about it too much, but it is about the nature on our doorsteps. So. Okay. And it's based in Britain instead of Ghana, so, yeah. So you'll be... Um... Okay, so some of the experiences you've had creating green spaces. Advice or... Yeah, well... Or, um, or more, this is... The do's and don'ts of what I've learned. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. How do you find, because I, yeah, this is a bit of a loaded question, but do you, do you find everybody in the community is getting the message? No. Quite a, yeah, <laughs> Not that's, at that's, all. That's, that's why it's a loaded because I, I find the same. It's really hard. It's really hard. And, you know, people have really busy lives. There's lots of massive... Kind of wild um, orange peel, wild tangerine yeah. peel. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's a... A big human has come and... <laughs> yeah, we've just them down <laughs> yeah. by, their, by their litter. Um, yeah, so yeah, um, busy lives, but also... Busy cool. lives, difficult lives, stressful lives, you know, lots of different real difficulties at the moment, I think, for everybody. Yeah. So, unfortunately, nature just deprioritises um, from the point of view of many humans i've come to call people humans now yeah. <laughs> i'm trying to detach myself from the humankind a lot, a lot of the time but there are those champions of the wild locally uh, around and they're amazing people so it's good to latch on to them yeah. and remind remind myself that there are good people i really really wanted to jump in that i always think that puddles look like chocolate cake and i get really hungry <laughs> <laughs> sorry i haven't brought any cake or oh, any sustenance that's really. rubbish it's terrible isn't it oh the tits are back yeah, we've caught up with that. I think it's the troop of long-tailed. Yeah, it's the long-tailed. It's the monkeys. <laughs> yeah, they are swinging through the branches. Yeah, they it's really like do. like they use their tails. As... Yeah. Yeah, they're okay. They got a little sort of slightly. They're a bit jaunty, aren't they? Yeah, and there's an abrupt little sort of cuss that they do. Oh yeah, they're, they're not that happy to see us. This no. is definitely a hang on. Yeah, you guys. But I, I, I like them all the better for that. They're suspicious of humans. They should be so. <laughs> You know, well done them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very sorry on our behalf. They <laughs> are. <laughs> Once you just relax your eyes, they, there's movement everywhere. Yeah, that's what I learned to do with the finch when I was stalking his family in the grasslands in Ghana. 11 foot high guinea grass, full of forest cobras and things. Very intimidating landscape, very alien. And actually, the more you see in it, the more you spend time. I, I learned to kind of... In- embrace everything at once so that I could pick out things and it's like a rhythm and then you have to tune into the landscape 
And I think that's the same in anywhere like this, where lots of crisscross lines and different sounds and colours. If you stay still for a little bit, you can tune into it, can't you? Um, so, so you're working on a new book. What, what can people do who listen to us now, or listen to you, and say, gosh, that's so spirited. Oh, I love my Swifts. What can you do if you've got a house in a town that could have Swifts? Is there anything you can do if you've got an existing house, apart yes. from putting the box outside, which we yes. kind of agreed is not, a, not the best? Well, you can... You can I, what I've done, I've got a stone cottage and a builder who happens to be conveniently passionate about Swifts comes along and offered to take out... Ooh, a crack of... Um, take out an existing stone in ah, the right place... Okay. Make it into like make a cavity in it and then put it back. That's the best of all of the solutions. Or you can put a swift brick in your own house. But as as well as that, creating awareness, telling other people about the swifts. And if you see scaffolding going up in your village or town, warning or or engaging the builders and the homeowners with the potential threat of the scaffolding and the pointing inadvertently messing up these lives that's amazing also oh. signing my petition oh okay six months it's the deadline is the 30th of april okay if, it, if there are a hundred thousand people that sign that petition i've got notable politicians on standby to debate it in parliament you know that's the problem right we're just in a really nice night kind jar of glade this is this is night this jar is land. Where we might spot something in the tops of trees as well it's the peeping of lots of birds but we might get a flyover Hawfinch. I'll look this way, you look that way. <laughs> yeah, let's see what we can... Lots of ash keys dripping in the trees, but... Oh, hold on, there's a flock of birds. There's a flock of birds in this ivy-covered tree. Oh, right, yeah. Sort of oh, really? Oh, there they go. Little bouncy they're, flock. They're yeah, goldfinches. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Well, That's I mean... a tiny bit excited. Love finches. Yeah. The moment was good while it lasted. Yeah. And then... Uh, Almost had a heart attack of excitement. Yeah, <laughs> That yeah, was yeah. I saying, I only like the individuals. Like, oh, <laughs> God, the whole thing. <laughs> so if you've got... If you said that your bird changed from lapwing... Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. Weirdly, I was recently I was just feeling something else, but now I can't remember what it was. I had this sort of... Obviously not a Damascene conversion to, to a new bird. So I don't I'm think it's a naked bird then, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to really, really love... Yeah, lapwings are super cool. I mean, they're just, they're, they're they're beautiful as well, aren't they? Yeah. If you want to get naked for a bird, a lapwing is like okay. a proper. It's got, it's got the crest, it's got the yep. shimmering green. Maybe outfit. I'll do it again. For a lapwing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think you'd do that again? Well, Did I will you? if I have to, whatever it takes. I mean, Brilliant. I didn't want to do it to start with. That's but amazing. I just felt like it's the only way I can think of. So you're, you're, you can covered. see, you can see what's happening clearly enough to feel. I think that's what a lot of people yeah, it's, aren't getting with a lot of the It's crystal clear. Yeah. And, and not only that, but if someone doesn't do it. I always kind of thought that oh, someone's obviously going to do something big and I'm just going to support it. And then I was like, oh, I don't think they're coming. And obviously lots and lots of people are doing lots of things. Yeah. And the scientists are collecting incredibly valuable data. People in communities are doing all sorts of things all the time. But it just doesn't reach the news and it doesn't create that conversation. Mm. All that sort of knife edge of, excuse me, stranger, are you going to help or not? You know, yeah. giving that opportunity. And I kind of feel like in this day and age, things are so divisive. Climate change has become such a negative thing. And this campaign, the Feather Speech, is actually built on not trying to stop the government from doing something, but actually trying to, to make the government do something. So it's actually a positive thing. And it's a teamwork thing. It's based on love and reason. And it's not based on hate or anger. It's really just a sort of clarion call to work together for our neighbours and to do something good and logical. So I kind of feel like it is a, almost a good news story. Also, it could fuel hope because the petition has just reached the first target of 10,000 signatures and that's less than a week so far and obviously hopefully there'll be more and more people but if I imagine a stadium full of 10,000 people even though I need 90,000 more yeah. that's a that's a huge amount of people coming together and supporting these birds and that fills me with positivity instead of doom and gloom and which most of the time I am full of. If we, if we had 10,000 bricks put in 
that would be a big start. So oh, yeah. Are we going to hurdle this? Yeah, I reckon so. Well, you go first, and then uh, I'm going to kind of creak over it. Oh, I can try and do it, but with a... Hard with it. Oh, that's I'm really done, good. I was going to go for the hurdle, but I'm... These, that was... I do this thing with these. I sometimes trip myself up with the eyes. Like, uh. they full, flat, because they catch. <laughs> and that would just... I would break my chin. My jaw. Well, we both safely found our way out of the forest, and I'm delighted to say that Hannah has joined us in the studio. Join me and Jack, because our own Hannah's off with COVID, unfortunately. She is. Hannah, hello. Hello. Well, welcome back to the well, well, welcome back to the podcast. But this time, I'm not taking you through a ramble through a very brambly forest. Oh, it's disappointing, but it's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, really good to have you because it'd be good to get a sort of update on how your campaign is going. It's really, really exciting. First big milestone: twenty-five thousand. People have signed it. So now just signed looking for that casual yeah. 75,000 um, more. So hopefully you've got 75,000 followers <laughs> that can go straight to my website, hannahbourntaylor.com, or Twitter or Google Swift Petition and add the names and then share it like crazy. And then, you know, this podcast will be saving the birds single-handedly. Well, amazing. Um, and so it, if it gets to 100,000, it gets debated in Parliament. Is that the... Is that the well, it's not am, guaranteed, am right? but the, it, that's the target, 100,000, because that's quite a lot of pressure on the government as an invitation to debate it. So that's what I'm going for. Okay, well, so people can find out more at your website and, obviously, as you said, by Googling. Brilliant. Okay, well, how, what else? What's your next sort of plan? Um, well, my next plan is still the feather speech because the deadline's the 30th of April. So I've got a very long slog of campaigning. I think I'm planning at the moment to go to every region in the country to engage with local communities to create more awareness about SWIFTs and also to try to get that 75,000 target to add to the total. Um, so it's going to be a really long, hard um, teamwork session for a long time. Meanwhile, I'm also going to be feeding the farmland bird flock that I think I mentioned. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to come up and visit. I might yeah. bring Jack yeah. and Yeah, well, you're welcome. Just bring Hannah. some seed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are you going to be walking naked in around the regions or is that is that bit done now? Um, lots and lots of people are requesting this and I really <laughs> am very reluctant to do that. Certainly it's getting colder and it's I also thought cold. that it was just a one-trick pony thing. Um, but if that's the only way, then absolutely, I'll let you know. Um, I have to apologise for no hawfinches on our walk. We will we'll come see your farmland birds, and we'll go and find some special stuff, perhaps in spring when you when you've hit your targets and you're free to have a just a, just a roam for the sake of it. I like the optimism there. Thank you. That <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> well, I think you've got if you've if you've got twenty five thousand in just a short time, you're, you're going to hit your targets. And... So anyway, we always like to bring our guests into the studio to help us with some of our conundrums and uh, puzzles. And last week we were talking about, uh, we, 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 we started talking about, Jack, birds that were named after. We did, the, the, after their call. After the calls. Can you remember what, which ones we had? I think, well, we had Chuff. <laughs> the Chuff, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and we had the Cuckoo. Cuckoo. We did have the Chiff Chaff. We had the Chiff Chaff. And we, but we didn't go very, we didn't get much further. Than that. that was about it. So, <laughs> bird, bird person, um, can you think of any other birds to add to our list that we can? Um, so, crow is quite an obvious one. Um, but oh, yeah. Okay. Kitty oh, wake. Of course. Kitty <laughs> wake, Kitty for sure. Wake. There are lots of funny, quite strange named birds in America that are named after their quite odd calls. But, um, Chiff Chaff is probably the most original yeah. in Britain, I think. We were enjoying the Chiff Chaff and Zilp Zalp, as it's called in Germany. I keep saying, I keep, I must have mentioned that about 10 times That's in very the cool. podcast over the years. Zilp Zalp. Um, Curlew is the other one I, I, I had to do a bit of looking around. Curlew, I, I think it's named after it's Curlew. Yeah, also the oyster catchers are known as peewits as well for the same reason. Oh, sorry. Yeah, lapwings. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> That's your favourite okay. bird, the one that you'd get naked for. So of yeah, course you'd remember I should that. Have thought of that one. Yeah, I get naked for a lapwing. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, is there a bird you'd get naked for? Uh, I mean, within 
all realms of decency. I mean, I didn't expect this question to no, come up. I didn't but, uh, you at all. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> uh, have a think and we'll come back to you. Come back to me, yeah. The other thing that we're going to ask you to do is we've had a lovely letter in in our podcast post bag and Jack with his long arms has plucked it out and sent it all the way to you in Oxfordshire. Would you mind would you mind reading this lovely letter? It's a pleasure. It's a particularly special letter, I think. Um, So this letter comes from Bridget Wesson. I'm sorry if I've pronounced the surname wrong. And it begins, As one of your regular listeners and an ardent fan of the podcast, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your recent podcast, 171, with Dominic Cousins. I totally agree with Hannah's comments afterwards about how much she liked hearing about some easier ways to remember some of the bird songs. This is still an area that I struggle with, although I have found using a recognition app to be very useful when out walking, although infuriating for any walking partners who just want to get on. As you say, Fergus, it really does begin to get a bit easier after time, and I have been able to identify birds correctly before the app has finished working. More Dominic episodes in the future, please. My father has died recently, and I cannot tell you how important birdsong and the sounds of nature have been to me. He died peacefully at home, and I opened the bedroom windows shortly afterwards to the sound of a robin singing its heart out in the gathering dusk. Your sound escapes were also so comforting as I lay awake at nights unable to sleep. I cannot think of any person who would not benefit from a few moments of communing with nature. I'm loving your mix of topics this season. Keep up the excellent work. Oh, it's lovely. Thank you, Hannah. And thank you, Bridget, for sending that in. It's very moving. And obviously, our condolences from the whole team for the loss of your father. Um, but also, it's so heartening that you've got, you get so much from nature and well, the kind words about the sound escapes, which are, which are voiced by other Hannah, who's not here. So we'll, we will pass that on to her. Just lovely. And well, I, I think a lot of a lot of listeners and uh, share our love of just getting out there and wandering around, and and I, I'm, that seems to be the crux of why why we why people like you, Hannah, campaign so that we can have this beauty in our lives and this sort of escape. Yeah, I think those moments that Bridget's explaining are well, they're certainly the best moments in my life. I seek them out now, and they're not hard to find. Actually, little doses of wonder through noticing birds and garden birds, especially during the winter, because they're flocking in to um, to get shelter and maybe some tasty treats from us. They're actually very accessible animals all year round, including in winter when so many other animals are either hibernating or migrating or somewhere else. And so I think um, we owe a lot to these feathered companions of ours, um, so much so that obviously I went the extra mile. But I think everyone can (laughs) (laughs) take uh, comfort and connection in these birds that surround us all the time. That's wonderful. That has to be our email of of the week. Podcast post bag email of the week. So Bridget, we'd love to send you a book as a thank you. And we've got it here. It's Under the Stars by Matt Gore, a really delightful appreciation of the nighttime and looking for darkness and peace and tranquility. Beautiful book. I hope you enjoy it. Please do send in your own thoughts about the podcast, about nature, the countryside, Hannah's wonderful campaign. Again, we'll choose the best email, the best letter, the best missive on Twitter. And the winner will get another book from the extensive podcast library. Very big. (laughs) It's one of the best podcast libraries I've seen. Uh, Talk about books. Hannah, you've got a book which we didn't, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, while we were out in the woods, but you should uh, let everyone know what, where they can find it, what it's called, who's publishing it. So it's called Fledgling. It's my debut nature memoir. And I'm very proud of it because even though it looks like a book, it's not really a book. It's actually two birds. That's how I like to see it. Um, it is the <laughs> legacy of a swift and a finch that I rescued, hand raised, and then eventually returned to the wild. And I wrote it in the hope that other people would fall in love with these birds, the birds would come alive through the pages, and that they would sort of sit on the shoulders of the readers. And and allow the readers to really have new eyes for the birds around them wherever they are. And so Fledgling came out in the spring, published by Aurum. Its paperback is coming out in March. And so it's out in all good bookshops, independents and 
all the bigger ones. And hopefully <laughs> lots of people will buy it and love it and talk about the birds. There we go. Great Christmas present. I'll stick it on my Christmas list. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll give that to Hannah. Other yeah. Hannah. <laughs> um, fantastic. And congratulations on getting a book published. It's, uh, it's a great achievement. Yeah. You've got another book. I know we talk, you've got another book in the pipeline, but we'll, we'll, let's save that for the next time we, we meet up. I'll and, be back. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll be back uh, around, around and have a, meet your farmland birds. We can go for a springtime wander. Well, that's about wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Can't wait to have another adventure. Next week, we're down in Dorset with podcast regular Kevin Parr in a mysterious hill fort. It's a great little tale. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us at the podcast studio. <laughs>